Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm Marcello Rolando, your host. A bit of a cold today, but we'll persevere. Um, my guest today is a repeat guest and a great friend, Andrea Miller. I should also say a political mentor. Andrea Miller is the executive director of People Demanding Action, and that's a multi-issue advocacy group. She is both the, an organizer and digital advocacy expert. I can speak to that. Andrea has appeared on the Tom Hartman Show, hosts the Progressive Roundtable, and is an IT professional. I love that one. Andrea Miller is also responsible for PD Action's digital strategy and customizes advocacy tools, now listen to this, for small to medium-sized organizations through the Progressive Support Project. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices again, Andrea Miller. How are you today? Well, good morning, Marcello, and thank you very, very, very much for that kind and very expansive introduction. <laughs> you know, before we jump into the uh, uh, the Progressive Caucus's budget, I wonder if we could get your re- reaction to the Supreme Court deciding uh, not to hear North Carolina's appeal for the repeal of its voter ID law. Did you hear about that? What are, you th- what are your thoughts? Um, well, again, You know, you anticipated my next question. I was the next thing I wanted to ask was, 
what is your take on this on and off again recused Attorney General Jeff Sessions? But I guess you've sort of answered that. Um, well, well, well uh, again, um, when you're dealing with someone, um, which is very interesting, who is the head of justice, but is obviously rather truth-challenged, mm. which he already demonstrated in his inability to keep track of, he went to Russia. He paid for it out of his congressional funds. How do you forget that? Yes. It's not like he drove across the state line and went to Georgia. Mm-hmm. He got on a plane, took his passport, and went to Russia. Yes, exactly. So. How do you not disclose that? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's all... T- well, he... He has a convenient memory, but we are here to talk about the Progressive Caucus's budget for fiscal year 2018, and um, how do we, well, how does the budget, how do you anticipate the the caucus budget, the Progressive Caucus's budget, uh, to provide reinvestments in America, and and what are some of your target areas for investment in America? Um, I want to back up a little bit and help your listeners understand to some degree how the American budget process works. Okay. Um, I'm going to do a really quick civics lesson. Okay. Um, normally, we are done with the budget process by early April mm-hmm. because there was a new administration and because of the votes on health care and the desire to work on tax reform all before the budget, our budget cycle has been delayed. Mm. Now, this is basically the way the budget works. The President of the United States puts forth a budget. This is how the administration is envisioning America is going to spend its money. Mm-hmm. Then the House puts forward its budget. Um, and since Paul Ryan is the speaker, people actually call that the Ryan budget. This is the budget of the House Majority Party, which mm-hmm. is the Republican Party. Yes. Now, in the House, caucuses are also entitled to put forth a budget. Mm-hmm. So the Black Caucus puts together a budget. The Congressional Progressive Caucus puts together a budget. And what happens is when the House budget goes onto the floor for debate, mm-hmm. these other budgets can be offered as an amendment, which, and this is very important for people to understand, mm-hmm. when it's offered as an amendment, this means there is going to be a floor vote. Uh, there's going to be a vote. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of things that are introduced 
episode. So that's very important to understand that this year, if there is a budget vote, the people's budget will get a vote. Members will go on record as either supporting it or opposing it. Mm -hmm. And we should we should know the kind of let's say the kind of brand that will be put on people who oppose it by talking about some of the things the people's now you refer to it as the people's budget the congressional progressive caucuses budget is a group of people within the Congress and that, that is correct. exactly yes yes. And the people's budget is what their focus is, what their primary choices are for financially supporting. For instance, that's what we want to talk about, infrastructure, education, uh, affordable yeah. quality education, and wage growth yeah. investment. Tell us about some of those things. Yeah. All right. Now, um, anybody that drives the car or has attempted to take a train anywhere, mm -hmm. you know that American infrastructure in terms of transportation is crumbling is probably the nicest, kindest word that yes. I can use. Yes. People's budget invests $2 trillion in transitioning to a 21st century infrastructure. Mm. Not only our transportation systems, I mean, if you've ever tried to take Metro lately, mm. you know that there's always track work. Pieces of Metro are always broken. Mm. And that's because we have not budgeted to maintain our existing infrastructure, let alone build new. So the people's budget does that. It also is going to look at water infrastructure. Flint, Michigan happened three years ago. Yes, yes. And many people in Flint still do not have drinkable water mm -hmm. coming out of their tap. And it's not only Flint. We refer to Flint as the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. If we look at most of our urban cities, if we look at schools in our rural districts, mm -hmm. we're going to find lead pipes. And where there's lead pipes, yes. we run the potential of poisoned water. Think about this. Poisoned water that we are delivering to children going to school, yes. drinking out of the drinking fountains. That is, in my mind, a critical infrastructure piece that, all right, what if we say, look, you know, people who drive, it's up to you to figure out how to fix your car. Mm. But we save drinking water for children. That's shouldn't even be a point of discussion. Yes, exactly, exactly. And how, you know, uh, and again, to stress what you've said, Flint, Michigan happened three years ago. They're still dealing with it, but there are a lot of locations that are dealing with this, whether they know it yet or not. So how right. how do we approach, we the people, Congressional Progressive Caucus budget, uh, the people's budget, how do we... Um, how, how do we fix water lines 
to prevent other toxic situations like Flint, Michigan? Uh, is it just that, uh, you know, because the Republicans are always saying the Democrats just like to throw money at something. But clearly the infrastructure and our children couldn't be, and there's nothing more important in our lives or our infrastructure for that matter than our children and our, the future right. of our country. So what, what do we do? How do we fix this? Yes. The only thing we can do is go in and we physically have to take out all the old lead pipes and we have to replace them with either copper, which is probably the better solution, mm-hmm. or at least plastic. Now, here's another thing, though. This generates jobs, which generates income yes. in communities. So this is a circular investment. So if people talk to their parents, possibly their grandparents, about the WPA under Roosevelt, this is exactly that kind of project mm-hmm. that came in, created jobs in communities where there were no jobs or were very limited good paying jobs, and at the same time, provided a major benefit yes. for the local people in those communities. And again, what we have to remember is budgets are spending our money. Yes. So we can choose to invest our money here at home or do stupid stuff with our money where we receive no Mm-hmm. So if we're investing in weapons that are going to blow people up 10,000 miles away, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of those weapons aren't made here, so we don't get the jobs. The income certainly doesn't come into our communities. Mm-hmm. We don't get jacked, but mm-hmm. we still get the bill. Here's another thing. Um, Charlotte. Is right outside a huge rural area. Yes. Many rural areas in the U.S. still don't have high speed broadband internet. This invests a hundred billion dollars making sure that rural communities are connected. Oh, wow. That is fabulous. Yes. That's an excellent response also to those who tend to, uh, on both sides, to both the the Rust Belt and other areas that tend to think the big cities, the big government are against them. Well, 
the people they elect may uh, kind of act that way, but there are a lot of people like yourself, like Jane Dittmar, who ran for Congress on this issue too, uh, is, right. no, we are trying to uh, to help you by getting this, uh, you know, internet and other things in your area, which is a benefit to to every area, to children uh, as their education, or doing their homework, whatever. And, you know, I always ask people who are, whether they're very pro or con when it comes to renewable energy. So I'm glad you sort of touched on the jobs thing because my first question is, well, are there jobs in, I mean, I know the answer, but I like the guests to go with this. And are there jobs in what you are changing? If you're going to shift our budget focus, our uh, financial support focus to renewable energy, to cleaning up, uh, uh, changing water pipes so there's clean water. If you're going to shift that, tell us about, but you've already gone to FDR, and I love that. But explain again, uh, that so people get it. When we make these changes that are for the good of the country and the good of our children and the good of the future, uh, we're talking about simply moving the money from um, um, weapons of mass destruction to to a place where it can support uh, health and welfare of children and the future. Is that oversimplified, Andrew? You tell us. Well, that that is a simple way of saying it, and a lot of times, well, it's really the best way. Mm. I want to talk about energy okay. right now for most part, and I'm going to say of Virginia. We've got an energy company in Virginia. It's called Dominion. Yes. And most people do business with Dominion. We buy our electricity from Dominion. Yes. Uh, buy my electricity from a co-op, mm-hmm. but we, we don't have the option of going solar. Virginia is an ideal state for solar. It is very, very sunny in Virginia. Mm-hmm. What if, what if we were able to retrofit homes with solar panels mm-hmm. so that A, we generated our own electricity and B, the electricity that we generated that was more than we knew than we used. Uh-huh. What if we were to put that electricity back into the grid? Ah, yes. Ooh. Ooh. And you see, lowering uh, that... our cost and making our energy footprint significantly less. And you know, and, and expand. Go ahead. Uh, oh, win-win, win, yes. Win. Yeah. Win-win. And now, Andrea, expand for people, because generally, as we started off ourselves in this conversation, people think of the infrastructures, bridges and roads and things, but infrastructure is also the, the grid. Explain to the yeah. audience about that. Mm. That's something. 
very, very lucky that we have not had people basically attack our energy grid mm-hmm. or attack our transportation grid, the airport grid. Yes. That's all computerized. Mm-hmm. I know I often say to my my wife will ask questions about various things about the car or whatever, and I said, dear, you got everyone's got to be, start thinking these things are computers, which means other computers can talk to them, and people who know how to hack other computers. Oh, and by the way, let me remind everyone we're talking to an it professional, and and <laughs> and so this is not minor uh, stuff here. It's it's all computerized now, and we don't. Um, I don't think we still we don't quite grasp that. Maybe I do because I I never was quite a 21st century person until I met Andrea and she taught me things about how to work on the computer. But because I had to come to it as an adult, uh, I mean an older adult, um, and and learn and practice and experiment, uh, it it you you begin to understand a real appreciation that we're all talking to computers. And those computers are talking to each other. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but just a few thoughts about um, about how that reality is touching us all. And and by the way, if you can, how does that affect our wage growth? And, uh, and oh, it affects everything: our wage growth, and we better do something about our education system yes. to make sure that our students are ready for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to do a really quick story about everything is connected by computer. Yes. Um, my partner has um, an older Mercedes. It's a 2000. Mm-hmm. And um, I recently bought a new hybrid vehicle that is all computerized. Mm-hmm. And I was really amazed to discover that there is a product that um, is made by Verizon where you can connect it to um, a vehicle that is basically 17 years old and it literally connects in that older computer and modernizes it so that, um, like, imagine if you have teenage drivers and normally you don't buy them a brand new car, they're going to get an older vehicle. Yes. (laughs) And you want to know when they're going over the speed limit. This little device can tell you. Imagine if you give them a radius. We want you to be driving in this area. This device can tell you if they go outside the area. So these are the kind of things, really basic things that these computers are able to do. Now, that means I want to go over and talk a little bit about, um, actually quite a bit, about education. And the reason I want to talk about education is because we are in the people's budget putting in one trillion dollars that's true in with a PR to invest in education. All right, I'm now, going to jump in. And, Andrea, I have to jump in. We need to take a break. But when we come back, we will start with that trillion dollars uh, in the budget to work toward and for quality education. We'll be right back with Andrea Miller. Please stay with us.
And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Andy Film Minute. Shallow pop culture is everywhere today. Reality TV stars show up on red carpets with real actors and actresses. Viral videos play on the news. Cruelty is played for laughs. And outright selfishness is becoming the law of the land. This mindset is skewered by Bobcat Goldthwait's wonderfully subversive satire, God Bless America. Frank Murdoch is in the thick of a midlife crisis. His daughter refuses to see him, he has lost his job, and he's been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. But moments before he ends his own misery, he spots a bratty teenage reality star cussing out her parents for buying her the wrong car for her birthday. Turning his inner rage outward, Frank kills the girl for her rudeness. Feeling vindicated, Frank and his new accomplice, Roxy, a classmate of the deceased, then mount a killing spree in the name of ending cruelty and stupidity. Bold and uncompromising, God Bless America twists the knife in pop culture's back. This offbeat black comedy is a social satire which often travels uncomfortably close to the line of acceptability. But then we should expect this from Bobcat Goldthwait, and let's face it, it is kind of fun to watch the selfish and shallow get their comeuppance. God bless America. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. Again, my guest today is Andrea Miller. Andrea Miller is the chair of the People's Budget Campaign and executive director of People Demanding Action. And today we are discussing Andrea's contribution to the 2018 Congressional Progressive Caucus's budget. Continuing now, right where we left off in the last segment. I'm going to cross these issues and intertwine them because they are truly intersectional. Yes. We know that you cannot expect that you are going to get a, quote, good job if you don't have a good education. Yes. And we also know that a good education doesn't start when the child is five or six years old. It starts when they are very, very young. Mm -hmm. That is why budget invests in good quality, high quality child care so that we have many families where we definitely need the mother to work. Yes. One of the biggest problems that working mothers have is affording child care. Yes. So this budget makes sure that no family is paying more than 10% of their income on child care. Mm. Now, I've got three kids, and I can remember, um, and I'm going all the way back to 1999 when mm. I lived in Columbia, Maryland, mm -hmm. and I can remember the child care mm -hmm. weekly bill for my youngest daughter was $500 a week. Wow. Wow. Yeah, 1999. Luckily, I was a college professor, so I was able to do it. Mm -hmm. But it's like quality child care is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a number of places where they do child care, and it's not that expensive, or even in many instances, when it 
it is, I call it corporate child care, mm. where there's all these facilities under the same name. The people who work there aren't very well behaved. Mm. So the bill does two things. Number one, it makes sure that no one is spending more than 10% of their income on child care. Mm -hmm. Number two, it makes sure that the people that are providing the child care are adequately compensated so that if they want to avail themselves of child care, they will actually be able to do it. Mm. It provides universal free kindergarten Mm. And we fully fund the early Head Start program. Because remember, Head Start was really designed for rural and urban kids who were very likely to fall behind in school. Mm -hmm. So the Head Start and early Head Start are programmed and this universal the same idea to make sure that low-income and at-risk students, urban and rural, mm -hmm. are going to be able to read and write as we basically now judge educational outcomes on our middle to upper middle class suburban students. Mm -hmm. Well, not everybody is going to be able to live upper middle class, but we do want to make sure we are providing similar opportunities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, opportunities yes. for people to excel. Now, also in this $1 trillion, we've got um, computer science for all. This is one of the big problems we run into in rural education. They don't have the broadband infrastructure, therefore they really are teaching the computer science courses that you see in the middle to upper middle class schools. Mm -hmm. So it's critical that we basically offer the same thing there. Yeah. So we're talking about young children to children in elementary school, children in high school, um, and now let's go to college. We have debt-free college, so if you are going to a community college or you are going to a public university, then you will be able to go debt-free. There is $3.7 trillion of student debt floating around out there. Mm. So if you look at many of our college graduates, they can't buy a new car, mm. they can't buy a house, because they are literally drowning student debt. We must, we must, we must come up with another way of paying for the higher education that our people need. With the people's budget also provides the ability to allow students to refinance their loans. And that's one of the big problems with the way the current loan system works. Mm -hmm. You have these student loans, they're very, very difficult, it's not impossible to refinance. Can you discharge them from bankruptcy? Mm. Through bankruptcy. We've got to work on doing this. 
pretty much at the lowest starting point in their lives are paying the highest price that they can possibly pay for prescription drugs. How dirty yeah. is this? This does not make sense. This is just crazy. Yes. So how do we how do we get Congress to to think the way you are uh, and the Progressive Caucus and the people demanding action and the people's budget and you are thinking? What do, what do we need to do? Well, uh, number one, we need to really educate ourselves on what is in that budget. Find out what would be really good for you and your family. Mm-hmm. Okay. individuals with their specific story that is a tremendous idea let me i'm not shifting really but i know what collective bargaining is we do want to talk about that and protecting it closing the pay equality gap i understand that when it comes to women is it not just a gender uh issue is it also an age issue and a racial and issue of this Thank you. 
it is like everything else you know keeps going the scale changes with the, every shade of skin even even geography i think i mean what is this gotcha. about wage theft people uh, their their wages are being stolen
exactly. Obviously, this person has no problem working. Mm -hmm. They have a problem being reasonably compensated for the amount of work that they do. Yes. And if they have three jobs, obviously, employers think this is a good worker. So people have to realize they've been lied to when they've been told that people don't want to work. People don't want to work for nothing. People don't want their tax money to be wasted. But investing our tax in ourselves, in our communities, I believe that is something that most Americans can get behind. People don't want to spend tax money and get nothing for it. But if you get in your car and you drive on good roads, if you get on a train and that train, let's just say it consistently can go 60 miles an hour because the track is in good repair, you can see what you are getting for your money. Yes. And you don't mind making the investment. It's when you spend the money and you've got nothing to show for it. Yes. Isn't that the mantra that our parents always said to us? If we foolishly spend our money, and now after spending that money, what do you have, have to, to show, show for it? it? It's true. All right. There's always so much more we need to talk about when Andrea Miller is on the show. Well, anyway, Andrea, any parting words and also include uh, how we can sign the petition and the website and how we learn more about the people's budget and what we can do. Uh, well, thank you very much. You can sign the petition at www.peoplesbudget.org. Um, under Take Action on the right-hand side, it says Become a Citizen Co-Sponsor or Ask Your Rep to Support the People's Budget. Either one of those, um, you can endorse our budget and you can say, I support the People's Budget. We are going to be offering webinars where we will really show people in detail what is in the budget. We expect the budget growth to be very late this year. We expect it to be sometime in June. So I am very, very pleased to have the time. Um, here it is in May to be talking to people about this and one of the other reasons it's called the people's budget is there were many ordinary people who had input into this budget who said, you know, it would really be great if we could do X, Y, and Z. Mm. And now the Economic Policy Institute did a study of the budget, and you can find an analysis of the budget at www.peoplesbudget.org as well. Fantastic. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrea Miller, for being a guest on our show again. It's always informative, as I know I always say. It's an education, to put it mildly. Uh, there are many, many other social issues that we did not have time to touch on. I just want to throw them out. So we are thinking, because we'll have Andrea back on before too long, comprehensive immigration reform, making the veterans a priority. The people's budget is the big thing. I, I, I throw these out because while we don't have time to talk about them in detail, we want people to be aware of what's going on and be a part of the people's budget and a part of all people trying to, uh, you know, work for a decent living and, and give their children a chance. Uh, uh, anything else, Andrea? I know I, I asked you for the last comment, so I will let you make it. Any Any other thing you want to add to that? Sorry. Thank you, everyone, for being a part of the show and supporting the people's budget. Thank you, Andrea Miller, for all you do and for being on the show today. We wish you all the best. Bye now. Goodbye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Dracula, Nosferatu, Lestat du Liancourt, Edward Cullen. These and other notable vampires have been gracing screens for decades, offering viewers lurid twists on romantic horror. Yet there's plenty of room for vampires in comedy, too, as proven by Taika Waititi and Jemaine Clement's uproarious mockumentary, What We Do in the Shadows. A vampiric foursome have decided to share a house in modern-day Wellington, New Zealand. For kicks, they have opted to let a documentary crew into their dead lives as they deal with roommate quibbles, seek out new victims at local pubs, and prepare for the biggest undead masquerade ball in the country, all while teaching the knack of blood-sucking to a newbie vampire. Each of the roommates is unique. Lothario Vladislav is a knockout. Viago, a hilarious dandy exuding boyish charm behind a coquettishly fanged smile. Petter, a Nosferatu fossil, and Deacon, a rebellious non-soul accepting no boundaries. As they negotiate the ever-changing human world around them, their madcap adventures include just enough blood spatter to generate some very serious laughter. Affably low-key, what we do in the shadows is not just for vampire fans. It's bloody good. So enjoy, my friends, while you live and laugh well. What we do in the shadows, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Despite Trump, there's a better world a-coming. Most Americans have always worked hard to get ahead, but if you weren't as pale as Andrew Jackson, you had to run faster and slave longer to be acknowledged hero. 
Not so for Groper-in-Chief, proponent of Foxy's sexual harassment, walled in by conflicts of interest, threatening affordable health care and scientific discovery shutdown. Whether shouting from baseball stands, religious altars, white hoods, or bully pulpit, mocking or demeaning others is the act of cowards with horrific potential and tragic probability. Yet... We still walk among heroes, in classrooms, hospitals, and neighborhoods, in the aftermath of tornadoes, hurricanes, and floods, good Samaritans clothed as strangers, saving us from the reality of erratic humans and weather extremes. Though a nation too steeped in denial and consumed by belly-up fear, spun by spin, hot air, broken promises, and past glories blowing in our face like icicles in spring. No divider-in-chief can wall in American heroism. If women, children, scientists, educators, activists, surgeons general, attorneys general, and peaceful protesters advocate for reason, equal justice for all, renewable energy, clean air and water, free public education, and a financially secure EPA, knowing true heroes rally to save, not incite to riot. Heroes are rarely loud or torturous or self-aggrandizing, rarely thinking themselves superior or even worthy. They are teachers and nurses, doctors and lawyers, the insightful friend and stranger just in the nick of time. Yet heroes are not only those saving families in trapped cars, breathing life anew into infants, but are the daily bread care propelling us forward in melodic ensemble, There's a Better World a-coming. Now we petition, march, and campaign to renew elections with an informed electorate. We must be risk-taking heroes for our children, because their children are depending on it. We are the descendants of depression, inheritors of progressive winds, and stewards of the immigration legacies of legends. Heroes and immigrants come in all sizes, shapes, shades, and sexes, but where there are dreamers there are detractors. Where the best and the brightest, also fear of change. Where innovative ideas, old habits. Where God bless America, assassinations in the streets. Where just say no, fatted calf feasts for drug lords. Where genius, envy, outreach, duck and cover. For every protagonist, an antagonist. And every hero, a villain. Where heroes seek balance, cowards create chaos. Despite a James Comey two-stepped or POTUS MIA sidestepping not the White House correspondence dinner, broadcast chambers maintain empty barrows, oblivious to America's greatness is in the kindness of strangers, mentors, and nature. As for heroism, white congressional males, or Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, Clara Barton, Hetty Green, Helen Keller, and her teacher Anne Sullivan, Francis Perkins, Georgia O'Keeffe, Amelia Earhart, Marian Anderson, Rosa Parks, Martha Ray, Catherine Graham, Ella Fitzgerald, Nancy Reagan, Shirley Chisholm, Maya Angelou, Audrey Hepburn, Coretta Scott King, Madeleine Albright, Hillary Clinton, Oprah, Simone Manuel, Simone Bills, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Heroism? Newborn William Billy Kimball's doctors, nurses, and scientists who develop ways to save the lives of babies and the elderly or climate deniers.
May 1884, Moses Fleetwood Walker squatted to catch baseball fans off guard. Seven years before tax day was knocked out of the Ides of March, Jackie Robinson stole bases in 1947 almost as fast as a 1936 Buckeye bullet winning four Olympic gold medals. Yet we still need Sam Cooke and Woody Guthrie to apologize to Adam Jones. But I know a change is going to come. Oh, yes, it is. Since ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, the GOP has diminished equality for non-whites, non-males, non-straits, non-documented American dreams. Caveat emptor. Halliburton Gulf oil deaths, pharmaceutical price hikes, and health care that denies covering pre-existing conditions. We choose who we honor as heroes, Mike Flynn or Desmond Doss, who earned his Medal of Honor by saving 75 wounded at Hackshaw Ridge, Donald Trump or Jimmy Kimmel. Mother of all bombs don't fire honor, and too often America's forgotten heroes are women. Change that makes a better world allows truth to set us free from the darkness of Lincoln's betrayers and emerge into the light of heroes like Sally Yates. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.